we have Stephen Scott in. Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Who blinked? <laughs> you just Good think. evening, everyone, and welcome <laughs> to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. But if you're a psychic, you already knew that. Uh, I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own queen of judges for whatever. New England's, yep. Anyway, back you're across CC the... Huntress. Yeah, there you go. C.C. Huntress. Back across the pond is the other Stephen, uh, the Stephen of the Golden Standard thingy, uh, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Yay. Hello, Ron. How are you? Good, good. And joining us today is yeah, another... Well, I was going to say, how did, how did our psychic experiment go at the start of the show? Uh, I, uh, I, 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 I blinked. I'm sorry. I did. I thought you were going to do the whole intro telepathically then. Ah, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking. Also, joining us is another Scott, right? Is there? He is, he is a, uh, a Steve, Scottish. Steve, Stephen Scott the Scott, from Scotland. Yeah, yep. Yes. There you go. So he's not getting this at all. I mean, he's, he's. It must be too late for him. He's, he's not chiming in very much. Okay. He's doing it psychically as well now. Stephen, are you with us? Yes, Ron, I'm here. Thank you. I was trying that psychically, but obviously it's not working. Yeah, it's not even coming close, tell you the truth. Stare at the screen and think very hard. Yeah, well, no, let's not even go that way. We've already lost half our audience already. Uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet, Parax, Ghost Channel, Planet Paranormal, TuneIn, iTunes, and wherever else. Fine. Yeah, there you go. So, anyways... Today we're doing a kind of a different show because I have two Stevens with me because one Steven was just not enough. Um, and we thought uh, Stephen Scott from Scotland, by the way, and they're both coming over to annoy me uh, this fall, which is really good. Um, so we thought we'd kind of do a different show. We'd do a round table discussion or, in the case of Scotland, a square table discussion. So who wants to throw out the first question? Me? Okay, fine. So, I'm going to throw this out, and each you get, it, you get uh, about a minute or so to answer it, and I'm going to make it really simple. Do you believe in ghosts? First up, Stephen Scott. Do I believe in ghosts? Uh, yep. Yes. No one-word answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but not in the broad terms of the chain-rattling apparition, you know, oh, Jacob Marley, you'd better fix your ways kind of thing, you know, uh, more along the lines of that uh, energetic impression that can be left behind in a place that people can tune into, read and revisit. Okay, Stephen? Uh, well, I'll tell you, my answer honestly has to be, I honestly believe that people see ghosts and experience apparitions. 
That's not the question. The question is, do you believe in ghosts? I'm just giving you the answer. No, you didn't. You said you honestly believe other people believe. But the question was... No, I, I, I honestly believe that, 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 that people... That, 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 that what? See apparitions and experience ghosts. Without any shadow of a doubt, I believe that to be a truism. Right. So, therefore, you say you believe in ghosts. And I can deduct that from that statement. Deduct okay. what you like. The statement stays the same. I believe people see apparitions and ghosts. Right. So, if you believe that, therefore, you believe in ghosts. Um, so, anyways, I do believe in ghosts. I know there are something that I can't explain out there. And exactly what a ghost is, is uh, Stephen Scott. Uh, gave us a little thing, or maybe it's vibrational or something, but uh, I'm not sure what a ghost is, and um, we really need a definition of ghost, I guess you would say, so uh, maybe we should call up Richard Felix, but uh, kind of late. Uh, maybe mm. we'll... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, 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 I heard something there. Oh, excuse me. So, anyways, that's my question. I answered it, you answered it, and you answered it. So, who's up next, Stephen Scott? Right, okay. Uh... I'm currently researching some new writing material. Oh, great. And so he's going he's gonna to pick our brains. Yeah, he's, he's, oh, yeah. he's no, 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 no. We're going to write his book for him, aren't we? That's what no, it is. No, not at yeah. all. Not at all. And uh, it's about the everyday occurrences, about everyday spirit. Okay. Uh-huh. And what I'm wondering is, is that this has drawn me into areas where I've been looking at things like, for example, the occurrences of what people have within their everyday lives that could be spirit contact. For example, looking into things like synchronicity, the way things are working. So my question to you is, have you ever had an encounter from spirit that appeared to you as as what looked like an everyday event, but when you looked back on it, you would have thought, I wonder if that was such and such trying to get a message through to me. That's a good one. Who do you start, want to start with, Stephen? I'll start with yourself, Ron. Okay, absolutely. Uh, I do believe that. I do believe that we do get signs from uh, loved ones that have passed and maybe from people we don't even know and have attempted to uh, reach us. So um, my answer to that is I do believe in it. And, and do you want an example? Is that what you were trying to say? No, no, no. It was just to see if you had uh, ever encountered anything like that. Oh, I absolutely if you have. want to give an example, feel free. I absolutely uh, have a, a gout. And you talk about synchronicity, which means uh, things happen for a reason. Um, and certainly, uh, I think meeting Stephen Parson uh, is synchronicity. And uh, oh, I think you he said it was bad luck. Yeah, well, same thing. <laughs> so I think I was uh, uh, probably directed to him by uh, a spirit, someone who probably didn't like me. And uh, so that's my sample anyway. <laughs> no, but I, I do believe in it, Stephen, uh, to, to be honest. Can I give you an example right off the hand? No, I cannot. So Stephen Parsons, that would be you up next. It would. And my answer is, have I ever experienced it? No. Okay. That's it. So that, that's your question. Is, is I, that I, can't, I, can't, I can't elaborate upon a negative answer, unfortunately. No, you can't. Well, All I, right, I so. could say, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. You just wasted another 30 seconds, so that's pretty good. Uh, anyways, what's your question? Uh, yeah, my question is... Come on, you had a whole 10 minutes to figure this out. 
No, my question is quite the simple question. Do you believe in the power of the mind, or do you consider that the mind has the ability to control physical objects in its immediate environment? Ooh, that's a Tele- Psychokinesis. Oh, Paul DeGuys? I'm talking about psychokinesis. Stop complicating it. <laughs> Who are you asking? Uh, I shall ask Stephen. Right, well... Again, I have never experienced that, but I do believe in the potential for the power of the mind to do amazing things. And I have met and spoken to people who have encountered such things. So I would have to say, to answer your question, yes, I do believe it's possible. And same question to Ron. Okay, I, I do want to mention one thing, too. You can also join us in the TojiNet chat room or the Parax chat room, and you can answer these questions, and we'll read your answer out on the uh, air as well. So if, if one of us asks a question and you'd like to contribute, you certainly can do that, and we'll monitor the chat rooms and put your answers up there as well. So anyways, um, the question was, do I believe in psychokinetic uh, or whatever it was? Um, Can the mind influence its physical, the physical world around it? Since I think our mind creates the physical world around us, uh, I would say yes. Okay. Right. Well, it, um, if I can elaborate on the reason for the question is that there oh, is... Oh, wait a minute. We didn't say we could elaborate on the question. Well, I no, can. No. I, I right, can make fine. the rules as I go along. I'm a co-host. Okay. All right, fine. Uh, it's just rather interesting that for a lot of years, parapsychology has been interested in the phenomena of psychokinesis or telekinesis, as it's... As it's uh, called by both names and actual fact there is quite a, a credible body of evidence from experimentation that on a small scale at least that the ability of the mind to control its physical environment is possible so we're we talking Yuri Gurry here or? no we're talking about experiments with uh, random ball drops affecting number generators on a very very small scale only Small statistical, but significant statistical differences, but, but significant nonetheless and indicative of an ability that needs further exploration. Steve, sorry, did, did you ever try the online one that the Coastler Institute in Edinburgh did? Uh, yes, and there's been others too. Um, yeah. And along, along with those, you know, there is... Um, you know, I, I would go as far as to say that I think a lot of parapsychologists, um, with with one or two obviously sceptical exceptions, would consider that psychokinesis has been demonstrated fairly unequivocally within the laboratory environment, at least. Okay. Uh, do you have an example of it being there? Uh, well, what, what study not, or anything it, like that? It, well, there have been many, many studies, um, including the, the, the one that Stephen talked about. There are ones where uh, I think the Rhine Institute did where they, they uh, put, uh, it's rather like a variation on the fairground game where a ball drops through a series of pegs into, into boxes at the bottom of a, of a container. Um, and they discovered that you can actually, or the, the, the experiment, the, the participants within the experiment could uh, should we say more incline the balls to one side or the other of the box, uh, um, which should be a random fall um, of this ball bearing down through the pegs? But they were able to, by consider, you know, by thinking about left or right, 
they were able to, to bias the fall of the ball in a statistically significant manner. Okay. So if we believe in our, our I think, uh, was it spooky and said it was proven as well, so uh, from the uh, regular chart room. But anyways, um, if we believe in psychokineticists, right, then how do we know that we are not really creating ghosts in our minds? In other words, for instance, most ghosts are uh, manifestations. Uh, so therefore, wouldn't uh, that be within our realm if we can manifest things to move one way or another? Well, it's got a possibility, but there's an even more interesting possibility, and you, you alluded to it before when you mentioned poltergeists, because the, the commonly accepted explanation for poltergeist is that it's a psychokinetic projection of a uh, raging teenage or pubescent mind, you know, the, this sort of burst of, of teenage energy, this angst that comes out and is directed or, or misdirected against the physical world around it. But if we accept the possibility that the living mind can do that, and bear in mind we don't understand mind and consciousness fully, then we also perhaps ought to consider the possibility of a deceased, in our you know, understanding of the word deceased, a deceased mind projecting that same energy and therefore being able to potentially manifest uh, object movement or interaction or even perhaps an apparition. So what we're talking about is telepathic projection. And that's been an explanation offered for people citing uh, apparitions and ghosts for for you know right from the start of psychical research uh the early 19th century um you know researchers did put forward this idea of a, telepath a telepathic projection as an explanation for apparitions and ghosts right if you think about evps and that's always been one of the arguments for evps that we are actually creating those ourselves rather than spirit well i think in the case of a lot of evps you could also argue that you you maybe create what you hear by you know, expectation, by belief, by... Pareidolia? By, well, yeah, an audio pareidolia. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's often been said that the, the best EVPs are the ones that you're told what it says beforehand. Right. So, Stephen, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think that we, we can create stuff like this with our own minds? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think that, <clears throat> from my experience as well, a lot of people's accounting of their, I'll use the term mostly, paranormal experiences, because, you know, doing what I do, you, people do come up to you with stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. You can certainly break it down a lot to either being originated from inside their own mind, or they've reacted to things they've heard, or, for example, visual pareidolia, where they've taken a photograph, been convinced that there's a man standing behind them, not like the fake photograph that was, that was going around the internet again though but the uh, and it's just where people create these things themselves I, I like the concept of the, uh, the the tulpa the thought projection whereby people actually create the apparitions themselves whether it appears physically or within the scope of their own their own mind their own sense of personal clairvoyance then that's entirely down to that individual's experience but yeah I think it's more than likely that uh, a lot of experiences are created by the individual. 
We actually have uh, an answer to this from uh, Brian UK six six. Well, yeah, I was reading the same thing, and um, I'd like to pick up on this last point, if I may. I, Brian... to... I heard a ghost dog. Yeah, it's not mine. It's not mine. Just me. Sorry. Brian says that the main problem he has with psychokinesis is the mechanics of work. How does it? How do you? You know? How does it come together? How does a chemical reaction in the brain manifest into a physical manifestation through movement, temperature change, occasional psychokinesis, etc.? Well, I'm going to throw this back slightly by saying, how does how that that we every single day, every single moment of every single day we happily accept the fact that thought can control movement, um, can create movement. We think about lifting our arm, we lift our arm. We think about raising a finger or reaching for a drink, and it happens. We don't actually understand what a thought is, and yet that thought is working through a chemical process, driving a, a machine that's actuating the movement and carrying out the task so thought can create and control movement what we don't understand is what is the thought what is the process but but we could actually look at this from the other point of view as well uh you know they're saying okay we can't do that yet a spirit is what a spirit is a a, if you believe in ghosts as 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 people that have been deceased then they have no longer their body and if they can raise a temperature or move an object or anything else then they ergo must be doing it with thought waves or something we totally don't understand so if we can accept that spirit can do it with just thought waves why could we accept that we could do it as thought waves in our corporal form as well well, that's what I've said before. If you consider the oh, standard... Speak, speak English next time. Well, I said the, sta- the standard explanation for poltergeist is that a teenager uh, yeah. or a young adult has these bursts of angst which is directed against the physical world. If we accept that as the standard explanation for poltergeists, so if a, if a living brain can do it, why can't a dead one? Or a living mind can do it, why can't a dead one? Forget the word brain there. That was used in, in the wrong place. Right. Because we don't understand consciousness properly. We still don't understand, for example, whether consciousness is within our brain or whether, as some people suggest, the brain is actually nothing more than a processor and that memory and consciousness is stored elsewhere. In a, if you liken it to a PC, the brain is the, central, the CPU, the central processing unit, and everything else is stored on a hard drive elsewhere. And the brain on the just cloud. processes... Even better, the cloud. Yeah, the, the cloud. And the brain is just processing information from sensor, physical sensors and, and storage on the cloud. On the cloud. Yeah. We don't actually know that's not the, the, uh, the case. Uh, Brian's just clarified his point. He didn't make himself clear. Um, how does it do that without a physical reaction, i.e. touch? If I want to lift my arm, there is an established set of nerves, muscles, blood movements, and so on that helps that happen. Yes, that's, there is a physical feedback uh, loop that controls our motion, provides uh, so that we know when we're applying touch, we know how much touch pressure we're applying. But if we, if we accept that there is a mechanism that we partially don't understand the, 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 the initial stage, the thought. Now, you know, I'm just throwing this out. Um, thought is not fully understood along with consciousness. We don't know what is a thought. Uh, right. We don't know how it's generated. It, so it might be using a different feedback mechanism in order to, to 
maintain a balance to know the degree of pressure that's applying. But what's most interesting, and one sentence applies, in many poltergeist uh, cases, it does appear that the force, whilst is whilst it's controlled, is actually not well controlled. Right. Um, it, it, we actually, I mean, it, it's interesting because of the the two wars that both our countries have fought, and and uh, there have been so many amputees. They've actually uh, working on development and have working prototypes of limbs that are controlled by our minds. Uh, so we've actually gone past the nerves and bloods and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, it's not we don't need the muscles, the blood movement and so forth uh, to move these artificial limbs. So, uh, ergo, there is a little bit more than just muscle well, blood. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But what, what, what we, we there's still the basic problem exists because what those artificial prosthetic devices are doing is reading electrical uh, impulses from nerves within the brain mm-hmm. but what we what what science doesn't quite fully understand and it doesn't understand a lot of things it doesn't yet for example understand gravity or, or or even to an extent magnetism but it doesn't understand what a thought is now it can read the electrical stimulation the electrical signal that fires through the brain when the brain when when you have decided to lift your arm or rotate the hand or pick up a glass, but it doesn't know what that initial spark, the thought, is. So the artificial limb technology is actually reading the result of the thought, not the thought itself. So it's not so, thought-controlled. It's, it's brain-controlled, electrical, electrical control. That makes sense. Uh, what's your thoughts on all of this, uh, Stephen Scott? Well, a... Uh I would actually like to Steve there is that uh, while I was talking about the you know uh, to, to go back to this poltergeist phenomena type event, mm-hmm. uh, certainly when I'm working on a platform or doing any demonstration, you start to get a build up of energy. I know that's a very loose term. I don't particularly like it myself, but uh, there is a build up of let's call it forces. You know, uh, but at the same time. What actually happens is that within the body, it's not just a chemical reaction. We have electrochemical reaction as well that occurs, and there's always things firing off within the brain itself. And the entire body itself generates its own electrical and energetic forces. All we've got to do is walk along and scuff our feet along the carpet, and that energy, that, that electrical charge can pass through us. It's great for zapping people with little head hair on the, on the back of the head when they're not looking. But at the same time, when you're working, it's not so much a generation of energy. What you first feel is a drawing down of energy, almost like you're pulling it through from another location, you know, from, from the very environment round about you, which might make allowance for whenever people have these events that report the infamous cold spots. That could be them essentially drawing that energy down through themselves. And this... Stephen, I'm sure yourselves know this as well, Ron, is that it's not just changes in cold that make your body feel cold initially. It could be a change in heat. It can also make you feel cold. And this could just be all these changes moving about, you know, within the body. So when we get back to this creation of these uh, poltergeist-style events or any form of physical manifestation of either mediumship or, you know, telekinesis, Mm -hmm. then it could be the individual himself who are drawing the energy from the world around them to create these events effectively we're not just not just a processor but also you know a kind of battery source mm-hmm. 
Does that make sense, uh, Stephen? Well, it's always been the key to, I've said it many, many times over the years, that the key to actually understanding ghosts and the, the things that I look for is that in order, if, if we assume for a minute, we make the assumption that they are real external phenomena that a ghost is able to manifest in the same space as ourselves, then it has to be drawing energy. The laws of physics say it has to be drawing energy. What we need to be able to do to understand it, like with the understanding of many of the natural forces around us, is we have to be able to measure that change of energy, be it as a thermal change or an electrical change or a magnetic change. Psychical research has long talked about the ether as this energy field, uh, this electromagnetic field that, that and it gives energy and takes energy, and we use it every day um, as, as, living, as living beings. Um, so it's, it's entirely not far-fetched at all. It's, it, there has to be a change of energy, and that change of energy, if we can find a way of measuring it, will be the biggest clue to understanding what is actually taking place. That only applies, of course, if we're dealing with an external phenomenon. We can't measure an internal phenomena because that's just mad people seeing things. <laughs> According to some parapsychologists. I, I, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. We've just got, a, we got about two minutes to break, so I don't want to get into a different subject quite yet. But uh, the Spooky actually asked something in the chat room in regards to this. Why don't we address that one uh, Stephen, can you get that question? Uh, I, well, how far back do we go? I don't get cold spots when sensing stuff. It feels like an electrical charge. Um, right. Well, but again... The thickness and light and atmosphere. Is, is electricity or electrical charge how we each of us individually sense it differently at times? Well, our, our nervous system is an electrical system. Uh, it's an electrochemical system. It, it, it senses the world around it in, in using an electrochemical reaction. Um, the senses within, you know, our, within our body, be they touch, vision, uh, smell, taste and hearing, are all electrochemical sensors. Um, and we do respond. We can sense, for example, when there is a change in the electrical uh, environment around us. The, I'm sure many people have, have felt the, the build-up of a thunderstorm and as it, as it approaches them, not just smelt the ozone, but actually felt the, the charge building around them. Um, because we do very much respond to, to electrical stimuli. We're not as well developed as, as say, some, some animals. Uh, a lot of fish have a sensory system that, that's very well developed along the side of their body for sensing electrostatic and electrochemical reactions. Um, but we still do have that system, and we, we, we use it every every moment of our life it controls our every you know our every being we are an electrochemical system We're a machine. well i'm gonna i'm gonna control this minute because we have to take a break so there you go you're listening to ghost chronicles international right here on tojinet pararex ghost channel planet paranormal tunes aye, aye, aye. anyways with stephen parsons and stephen scott we'll be right back after the following messages
Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be with remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased. We'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, the next generation Every Wednesday night At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time On www.toginet.com So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening Like uh, Beyond Bizarre And Cemetery Tripping Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. And the beating of Ron's heart, or his pacemaker, brings us back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International. You're listening to us live, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're listening to one of the thousands of podcasts that we send out into the ether after every show. The cloud. The cloud. Where consciousness exists as only a thought. Which is what we've been talking about in the first half of the show. Thoughts, poltergeists, the iCloud, 
the new iPhone 6 and what we're going to be doing. And, and while we were on break, by the way, the chat room just lit yeah, up. Yeah, cheese straws apparently are very popular. Um, but we do have, let's plow th- quickly through the chat room just to catch up. There's a lot of questions for Steve, so I think we want, do you want to fend them up to, up to him, uh, Ron, first of all? No, you can do it. I, you, you speak English and I don't. Okay. Because you won't be able to understand me, you know. Okay. Um, Stephen, somebody's on page 60 of your book, and you have referred to the fact that you have never seen an apparition, and that surprises them. Yes, I can safely say hand on heart, I have never seen 100% with conviction an apparition. Uh, as in, you know, a full body, free-floating, <laughs> toss of vapour. You've never seen Ghostbusters? Of course I've seen Ghostbusters, but uh. no, I've, I honestly, no, I've never seen an apparition of a ghost or anything like that, that I can 100% hand on heart say that wasn't corner of the eye phenomena, it wasn't pareidolia, it wasn't my mind making something up, you know, uh, okay. never. Uh, but that's... I see a big difference between contact of that type and contact that is spirit. Right. Because okay, well, that e- brings us into... That, that brings us nicely... I'm trying to plough through them, you see. So that sure. brings us very nicely into the next question from the chat room. Um, this is from Spooky, who is curious about how you know that you are with spirit. Right. Because when you're working mediumistically and working with spirit, there is a... a, a you feel an energetic change. You bring your own. You start to raise your own personal vibrational energy up, because it's it's a lazy medium that expects them to come to you. They've got quite a distance to go. You need to try and raise your energy up a bit, and that's what all the practice, the meditation, building your own sense of personal power, uh, your own sense of personal awareness of your own energy. It's learning to put that up there, and then when you make that contact, there is a, a simple purity of thought. That comes in first before all the the recognition from that spirit. The the, the human element they start to bring in again. Right. They, they they don't have that. They bring that in for recognition. Otherwise, you would be saying to someone, "I've got your dad. He's a fantastic, you know, vaporous ball of energy, and he says he loves you." That's not. That's God, I, thought that's you not gonna, I thought you were going to say orb then for a minute. But. <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't have said orb. Oh, I wasn't thinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was in awe in my past you know, life. <laughs> yeah, balls. <laughs> and when they bring that energy in, they then start to bring in the more human elements that allow them to be recognised to give that evidence to someone that this is who you have in contact. So before that point, it feels completely different from yourself. It's almost like talking to something that's just clear. It's okay, a clarity so- of presence. I've got to press on, so short sure. answers, please, while we catch up with this oh, backlog. short answers. Look um, at this. Is, what a taskmaster. Is it true that when you have a random thought of someone that has passed, that they are there with you at that exact moment? Say that again. Is, is, it, is it the case that if you have a random thought of somebody who has passed on, that that's an indication that they are there with you at that moment? It's... That's a very personal experience, and it's down to the individual to determine that. If you have a passing thought of someone that's passed on for no reason, it, it could be that you've maybe smelt something that reminds you of the perfume, or you've heard a word that perhaps that person used that's generated that. But at the same time, you will know yourself, and if you feel that for all of a sudden your grandmother comes in for no reason that you can determine, then 
what I say to people is, is go with that and just accept that as almost like I was talking about at the start. Uh, that that moment where the everyday and the spiritual can come together, that is entirely right. down to the individual at the time. Okay. Do spirits draw their energy from us, and is that why psychics and mediums become drained after a reading? Oof, right. There's a big difference between working psychically and working with spirit. When I work with spirit, they do not draw my energy at all. They come in with their own energy. They are more than capable of using it. They will make use of any additional energy, but spirit will never drain you to get a message across because that's counterproductive, really. When you work psychically, you're powering your own link. When you work with spirit, you're working with spirit through you to the person there. When you ah. work psychically, you're working with yourself and that individual, and you're basically downloading information from them. That's why psychic work... I feel exhausted after I do psychic work. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like it. When I do work with spirit, and spirit come in with this wonderful energy, I actually feel invigorated after it. I don't feel tired at all. Right. So it's, you, it's, sort of, it's sort of like Reiki, then? A, a mediumship yeah, is like Reiki? Yes, one way to look at it, yes. It's, it's, you're channeling an energy that comes from a much purer and more... Uh, empowered source and I think just finally for this section of the questions from the chat room um, is uh, I don't know if you can do this one briefly but you're going to have to try is how do you raise your personal energy and your personal vibrations Okay. whenever we do work the best thing to do is sit learn to sit, learn to be quiet learn to calm your mind, learn to meditate learn to control your breathing and become familiar with your physical existence once you start to become familiar with that give yourself two or three years of it at least it takes a long time Uh, start to take your thoughts just out with the very surface of your body, work with your own I'll use the term auric field, work with your own aura work with your own energies, find out how you feel and then try gently just moving that forward. The best way to do it is to get involved with a good recognised development group. You know, someone you can trust. It has to be done in a trusting environment as well. But it's all about learning to recognise yourself and then build on that energy. And that's one of the reasons that we know that when spirit come in, is that when you work in that meditative state, you learn to lose all your own thoughts. So that when the messages do start to come in, they come in clearer. Right, and okay. uh, so well, so I said actually, no, nope, no. Nope, there's one question you, you overlooked, and I think I'll address. Oh, I, I, I apologize. Address to you, Stephen. Uh, why I overlooked it. Is that this was from Ghost Girl, and she says, if we provide energy to a spirit, will it give them power to manifest? So, is that possible in the realm that? that you're dealing with uh, Stephen Parsons. What, do you, what are your thoughts? We'll ask Stephen Scott, too. In terms of the, the, the laws of physics, which I, I tend to, to you know, stay within, um, the second law of thermo, thermodynamics is, is the, the law that governs the change of energy um, or the exchange of energy. Um, and I, I personally doubt that, that the spirit actually needs any energy from, from us. Um, but we are, you know, we are an enormous power source. Um, but we're nowhere near as large a power source as the world around us and the just general environment. The air, for example, in a standard room has got an enormous amount of potential energy contained within it. Uh, far more than we have, for example. Um, you know, the, the atoms and molecules that vibrate just in a room full of, an empty room full of fresh air. There is an enormous amount of energy contained in, 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 that, in that space. 
Um, and I don't think they actually need to bother about us and all this sending them energy and use my energy to manifest. I think that's just uh, uh, hope, hopeful, wishful thinking, maybe, because if they want to do it, they can, they can do it. Stephen Strat, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I would basically, yeah, I would, I would just have to, I'd, I'd have to agree on that one. To be honest, uh, I think Steve's covered it absolutely perfectly. <laughs> to be honest, I, I couldn't go into any more detail. Okay, very good. So we don't have to provide energy, and therefore all those things that we say are useless, and all the. Well, well, I mean, to to give you a quick analogy, why why would you use a double A battery when you have a car battery available? Mm -hmm. That's on the assumption that they they have uh, accessibility to vast amount of power. Well, we we're making assumptions in many of the answers. Um, I said before we assume that to provide one of the answers that we're dealing with an external phenomena. But we may also, and it's got to be, it's, it has to be said that we may be dealing with an internal phenomena, a creation of the of the mind, and of our own individual consciousness. And there are many examples where that is clearly the case. Um, some psychiatric disorders and illnesses—that's clearly the case. People hear non-existent voices um, and see non-existent uh, hallucinations. So we know that the mind is capable of of doing that. Um, and it may be, and it's, it's argued by some, that all paranormal experiences are internal and that we perceive them because of the way our, our senses work. We perceive them as outside of us. The voices that, you know, when, when, you have, uh, when you have a hallucination, you don't see it inside your head. You see it projected onto the world around you like a heads-up display. Um, same with, with, with uh, the other senses also. And... I would, I would, I would have to say that whilst there is evidence, strong evidence that in many cases that that is true, there are also very good, incredible evidence that in many cases that doesn't hold true, and that what you're dealing with is something outside of the human individual. Well, I mean, let's go to address that thing about hearing voices. Uh, do you know that right now, as you and I are talking, there are millions and millions and billions of people that are talking, and there are billions and trillions and trillions of people who have talked in the past, and billions and billions of radio signals and everything else. Why can't whoever is hearing voices actually uh, have that ability that someone else does or, or some portion of their brain uh, is connected to a level that we're not in. Uh, it's pretty much well, as Stephen is like Stephen. Uh, Stephen, as a medium speaking to the dead, uh, is connected in a certain way that evidently you are not. Well, if we talk about, I, I know it's, you, you, it's reference to radio and, and frequency and uh, voices. This, period. And voices. Period. Well, the simple the simple answer to that is that can't happen because. Uh, we're all on the same frequency. That's why we don't fall through floors and walk through walls. And our ears all work at the same frequencies. However, however, the fact that not just mediums, but a lot of religions um, and uh, uh, shamans and uh, metaphysical practitioners, occult practitioners and metaphysical practitioners, talk about changing the body's vibratory state and then perceiving things uh, different 
vibrations. So, for example, you're listening to WCCM. Um, that doesn't mean to say that Eagle News Radio isn't, isn't broadcasting as well, but you have to change the frequency. Now, we can't change the frequency between two physical beings because <laughs> we can't walk it through each other and we can't pass through each other. But a radio wave will pass through us. And it may be, and physics does support this, that there are other planes of uh, dimensions that are, that are, that are you know, intertwined in our space, but at a different vibratory rate. I think Stephen Scott is 11. Stephen Scott? Yes. What do you think about this? Vibrational stuff? And- yeah, I, I have to agree. Is that uh, everything that we do, and I mean, everything vibrates and you know, at a certain resonance and certain frequency, just as Steve's saying. And again, he's hit it right on, on, on the head, is that a lot of people who work in rel- religious areas will talk about a change in frequency and vibration that, that they can experience. Uh, what I would raise, though, is that uh, for myself, there, there's absolutely no difference between the work I do as a medium. It doesn't. Anyone technically can do this. They can learn to do this. The only thing that stops is, the reason Steve doesn't do it is because of different life choices and perhaps his choice in this life is not to do that. So for whatever reason, me coming into this life at this point, I was predisposed to being perhaps more able to switch into that vibration because of choices that I've made and lessons that I need to learn in this life. And uh, it, it's absolutely, it's, it's exactly the same for everything that we do. Uh, as I say, we're, we're, we are all working within this specific vibration and everything that we do and all the work that we do, when you pick up EVPs, you're picking up a certain frequency. I, I don't know anything about electronics and radio, but you're picking up specific frequencies, I'm assuming. Uh, I think you also see these things that scan multiple frequencies, looking for stuff. Uh, yeah, ghost box. Yeah. The reason it's doing that is because it, that's no different technically than the work a medium does. They, they try and expand themselves in a more vibrational sense. That's exactly what the ghost box is supposedly doing. Uh, however, again, not having used one, not having seen one in action. Well, uh, you will when you come over here. So it's, it's, uh, it's essentially just that everything that, that we do and all that we are, even our thoughts shape the very universe around us you know whether we think positively just what we were talking about at the start or negatively you, you know it's the same as people who become ill and are able to perhaps cure their own diseases or maladies and even their own uh, mental conditions through positive thought it's a, it's a change in the shift in energy you know if, have you ever looked at the work by Masaru Emoto it's a Japanese gentleman yeah, who works yes, water, yeah. the, the, the different vibrational <laughs> qualities of water and all that. Now, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, whether it's real, whether it's not. It's I'm not laughing, I'm just thinking back to something I wrote eight or nine years ago, the water tape theory. Yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, everything that we do, so all of our thoughts can get brought into this in the same way. So, Amoto's work there... Uh, What's your thought on Steve Parsons? Because you did snicker, so that's going well, to cost Well, my, my thoughts on Emoto are simple. I thought of it. He's just done the... He's just, you know, I gave him the idea. He's just picked it up and run with it. Is that and right? And the, the idea came because... Um, well, actually, it's not really my idea, but um, it was based on the work of a French uh, researcher. Richard Felix? 
a French researcher oh, um, oh. Who, who was studying on a very eminent, probably France's most eminent uh, bio, uh, bioscientist, um, who was studying homeopathy. And they discovered that, in fact, they thought that an error had been made because they had over-diluted um, one of the... Uh, substances they were working with to the point where in actual fact it didn't exist and that they were that they were dealing with pure water and yet the effect uh, was as strong as if the the substance was present and it was almost like water was exhibiting a memory mm-hmm. um, and they did a number of experiments now I've got to say that these experiments have been uh, challenged Challenged and contested, yeah. mm-hmm. but the, the challenge itself is, has been counter-challenged. Right. But what, what I did when, when I, I read about this uh, um, was this idea of, well, how does the stone tape work? Because for me, it really doesn't. I can't understand how uh, an Im- uh, some projection from a person can get into a wall and then hundreds of years later get out again. But if water well, has is, a, is, if, wait a minute, isn't isn't like a, a record uh, that same thing? We we put sound into a no, piece no, of vinyl. We, yeah, well, right? yes, but we know how it gets into the piece of vinyl, and we know how it gets into the DVD, and we know how it gets into the into the uh, even, piece of even tape. They have found, but but, but there is but there is no. Uh, okay. We we know the mechanism. We know how to make sound onto a disc or a tape or a yeah. or, or a piece of vinyl, but we there is no mechanism that that is comfortably explained for how 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 a human can project a, a recording into a wall. But water might be that explanation because if water is retaining some state of memory. When we exhale, of course, we exhale quite a lot of water. Now, that water w- would then bond with the water within the fabric and structure of a building. And at some future date, it, would, it, it could then again be released as the water within the fabric and structure of the building evaporates. And it's interesting that so many ghosts um, are actually experienced near wet locations or near uh, sunken waterlogged locations if you go to the parascience website and look up some musings on the water tape you can read the whole theory Um, but it is only that it's just it's just an idea it was just a a muse that i had one day um, many many years ago but it does seem to be that some mainstream scientists are finding some evidence um, that water does seem to be changed by thought or has an ability to respond to you know these non-physical interactions with the human mind now we know that if we walk across a a a floor we can create and i mean we can collect energy so why couldn't a building collect energy The, the problem is the mechanism it's it's you know, people say, oh, well, it's the silica, it's the, it's the iron oxide. Well, yes, of mm-hmm. course, you know, you put iron oxide onto a piece of plastic and it becomes a videotape or an audio tape. Mm-hmm. But you need, you need a magnet, you need powerful amplifier circuits, you need uh, all manner of electromechanical components to actually put the recording on and get the recording off. 
Likewise with the laser, you know, a DVD, a laser disc, or even a digital audio. But the, the interesting thing, that's not exactly true, Stephen Parsons. Because, well, it is exactly true. No, it isn't exactly true, because you can actually record sound with very little uh, yeah, pieces to, of equipment. Yes, but with you very have... very little electronic but have, equipment. But you have pieces of equipment. You can record sound as, as for example, as easily uh, as using a cone of paper, a pin... And a rotating disc of, exactly. of plasticine. Yes. Well, yes, but you see, what you have is a physical mechanism that is understood. The cone vibrates. The the needle vibrates. The needle makes uh, a groove within the within the soft plastic, which another needle follows and vibrates the paper cone and reproduces the sound. That's an analog uh, mechanism. It's very easily understood. But you take a lump of human being and put them in a building, you have. The, so, the human being, you have the building, but you don't have a link between them. And so that's let's the problem go right the back tape. to the beginning of the show well, when we talked about well, psychokinesis. Yes, Why but also... Why can't we be psychokinizing well, it? Well, we might be, but we have a physical possibility also, in a really, really simple one. We breathe out water vapor, and the environment is full of water. An average brick wall is 60-plus percent water. An average lump of wood in a building is about 30 to 50 percent water. There is a huge amount of water in our environment. We ourselves are made up of about 90 percent of the stuff. So if water is able to, as this scientist says, and as I rambled on years ago about, if water is able to transfer thought and emotion and memory, then there's you've got a very simple mechanism that could do it okay. between so the what- environment and the individual. So let's go to uh, Stephen Scott. And, and Stephen Scott, you are made up of 98% water. Uh, is that how you operate? I'd like to think so. Being Scottish, I'm 96% water and 2% whiskey. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've actually got a thought here as well, which is that um, supposing that what we create there is that electrical discharge. of that, For example, someone mentioned crisis apparitions earlier. What if that moment creates that sudden burst of energy that is absorbed by that local environment, whether it's in the water or whatever. And the catalyst for that being released is the energetic shift of that condition back to its original state before it was affected. Well, what's interesting is uh, this professor and other researchers have discovered that one of the key ways of getting to water to change its structure in response to physical stimuli is an electromagnetic field. So an EF, MF meter is good for investigation. No. See, there you go. You're, you hear one word, like, because I said electromagnetic, you've now gone out and built a new, a new K5 meter <laughs> that, that can detect humidity. Exactly. Just, there you go. Can we not get a meter that's a, a human brain in a box? Well, yeah, I'm working on it, actually. <laughs> when Steve comes over, he's going backward out of his brain. Pinky, it's going to be like Pinky in the Brain Spirit Quest, which... Which I think we should we we ought to mention really, shouldn't we? We keep alluding to this coming over in September, but right. So let's let's you know, two minutes left. Holy crap! All right. So, anyways, uh, before we do, Stephen Scott, give out your website, please. It's www.stephenwkscott.com, and we can find out more about Stephen there, and, and you can find more about Stephen Parsons where. Uh, I don't know. Crime Science. Watch. 
Crime Parasite. Watch, yeah, all good reputable bookshops and oh, um, website, website. We ain't and, and, right. Yeah, and there's a website too. What is it? Come on, hurry up. I, I don't know. The ghosthunter.webs.co.uk. All right, thank you. And uh, you can find out about, more about uh, myself and the New England Ghost Project at nagostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. Now, we just got a little bit of time left, and uh, Steve Parsons did allude that uh, he, he and Stephen, both Stevens, are coming over to visit uh, the U.S. Uh, this fall, right? Yes, we are. We're coming over to attend Spirit Quest and, um, and to spend some time with Ron. Um, Spirit Quest, which I was fortunate enough to attend last year, was a fantastic event held at the VZ Estate um, over the week, over um, a very very sunny, sultry weekend in September. And I think the dates this year are the nineteenth to the twenty first of September. It starts with dining with the deceased, and it progresses through talks, lectures, workshops, ghost hunting. Uh, uh, it, it it looks early. It looks at the earliest, you know, spiritualism from the early days to the present, ghost hunting from the early days to the present. You can get to dress up as your favorite steampunk character and meet Ron Kolek. There you go. And Stephen Scott and Stephen Parsons. And also, uh, what the tickets are on sale. The weekend pass is now $80 off if you purchase it in uh, July. And you can get that from the Any Ghost Project dot com website the letter and the letter egosproject.com so anyways uh Stephen uh scott will also be doing readings of the circles of wisdom and that means we gotta say goodbye because i just heard some beating there yeah the beating of your heart all right so Stephen scott thank you so much for joining us Stephen Ross, always a pleasure yeah, uh talk to you next week yeah in fact so, later later that's true uh you'll be doing my paranormal study tonight So thank you all, and good night. God bless. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law. This is Tony.